You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network.
And if, if, if they get a home, he'll facilitate that. If not, he'll make sure they're loved till the day they die. While he has this, again, he's endeavoring toward building the world's largest pit bull rescue and sanctuary. Um, he's also a very interesting guy beyond that. We'll get into that in a moment. It's my pleasure to introduce today on Talking Tough, where we interview the world's toughest men and women and explore their vulnerability. Uh, this guy is the poster child for that. His name is Jason Flat. Jason, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here, man. Hey, man, really good to have you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. All right, man, good interview. Well, have a good week, and we'll talk later. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Um, I know you're out there driving around, and you're you're in the midst of it right now. I I really hesitated bringing up the the coronavirus. I know that that your world every single day is almost like operating in emergency mode. But can can you tell me and our listeners what's going on out there for you and your organization, Friends to the Forlorn, right now? Um, Right now, it's a very uncertain time. Nobody knows what's really happening and um there's a lot of there's a lot of panic um you see a lot of economic uncertainty uh events have been canceled adoptions have been canceled fundraisers have been canceled um awards <laughs> i was supposed to get a, a a really nice award in the beginning of may and that's been postponed indefinitely um you know that's going to bring us you know our architectural plans for our place that we're building um, all our, you know, we're supposed to have a, our, our presentations from architects uh, last week. That was canceled. And this is to build the world, the, your, your sanctuary. You, you bought land for this new sanctuary, is that correct? Yep, it's all paid for. We've got 46 acres, and uh, we're waiting for, we just got our proposals back, and we're waiting for um, presentations from the architects. We're hoping to break ground in two to three years, and we were uh, all fired up to start our capital campaign. Um, to raise the millions of dollars needed, but how do you start a capital campaign when, you know, the world's upside down? No, no, you you don't. Um, how much money do you need to raise altogether to to realize your plan? Uh, for the first phase of it, we're looking between four and seven million. Four and seven million. Okay. Uh, I want to jump back for a second and explain something to our listeners out there. We're on with Jason Flat, F L A T T. His organization is Friends to the Forlorn dot org. Is that correct, Jason? You got it, Rick. Okay, Friends to the Forlorn dot org. Now, now I know that in raising this four to seven and, and pulling all the permits that you have to pull for what you're going to do, you must be um, interacting a lot with government officials. Is that right? Yeah, I mean we've got we've got the zoning already. Um, we've we've got the we bought the property um, on a contingency, and the contingency was based on the zoning. If we didn't get the proper zoning, um, then we weren't going to purchase the property. I didn't want to get into the real estate business. I'm in the rescue business, so we wanted to make sure that you know all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed before moving forward and making that kind of investment. Okay, cool, cool. Um, that, that's good to hear. And the, the reason I bring up the, um, you know, the government office, I have this visual in my mind, Jason. Pe- people often see me. You know, I'm not a big guy. I'm like five four and 135 pounds. But I just had someone tell me recently. I hear this all the time. Well, you look like a tough guy. It's my head shaved, and I've got a goatee, and I've got you know my hoop earrings, and I don't know. May- maybe all the years of doing what I've done have, have created a veneer of toughness. But I'm trying to picture you now. Walking into a government office with a four to seven million dollar plan, 
and and what your reception is like. Um, now, you guys, Jason is like a, a larger version of of me, I would dare say. Um, a- adding to that, the fact that your his face is entirely covered by tattoos, or or nearly covered in any case. And and Jason, when, when you when you walk into a place to do business, what kind of reaction do you usually get? It depends, man. It depends on who I'm dealing with. Uh, most of the time, people are, are a little bit taken back at first. Um, you know, sometimes you get a woman who'll clutch her purse a little tighter and hold her children a little closer. Um, but other times, you know, like now within the county that I live in, I'm so well known and we've done so much for the community here. Um, the commissioners are all, I mean, we're on a personal basis. They call me for things. Um, I work hand in hand with animal control here. They call me when they need me. Uh, so, you know, um, some of the commissioners donate to us. So it's different here now. It took a while, man, but now the initial reaction is, is usually um, one of shock when they see, you know, a guy that looks like me, um, you know, rescuing, rescuing animals. Um, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes ladies will, will clutch their purses a little bit tightly. Um, I have uh, something I kind of half-jokingly say to some of my friends. And, and I think, you know, I come from the mixed martial arts and, and the pro wrestling worlds for the most part. And these guys, the wrestlers in particular, are, are some of the, the biggest, some would say scariest-looking humans on this planet. And you know, the the black guys in particular, these guys that are you know six five and three hundred plus pounds and really put together, I oftentimes have told them, hey, you guys remind me of my dogs, and they're like, dude, thanks for it. Cause uh, I'm like, because they cross the street to avoid you, but here's the thing with my dogs, my four pit bulls, they're they're, they're going to be the first that's going to be gentle with a, a small child with a baby. Um, they're going to give kisses. They're not going to bite anybody. But they're perceived very, very similarly to, to how my wrestling buddies are. Um, do, do you look at yourself like as a human pit bull in that regard? You know, I I relate to them, man. They're kind of almost like a role model to me. Um, no matter what they go, I've seen these dogs. I mean, you've seen it. I've seen it. Um, come from the worst situations. I've seen these, you know, humans would never survive what these dogs have survived. And they're so resilient and they never stop. They never give up. And you know what? They live in the now and they just, they leave the past behind. And that's something that we struggle to do. No matter, you know, you could take a dog's leg off and it's running around the next day. We lose a leg. We're like, oh my God, my life is over. I'm handicapped and this is it. And, you know, I'll never... They don't look at it the same way that we do, man. So they're kind of like my role models. Do I relate to them? Very much so. But uh, more in admiration of them, you know? Um, they, oh, dude, I, I, I know. I mean, to me, they have the biggest hearts in the world. Um, yeah, man. You, you know, <laughs> I was almost going to mess with you and go, but Jason, triples are vicious. <laughs> and their jaws lock. And they bite with greater strength than a, uh, than a lion or a tiger. These are some of the common uh, common conceptions about them, aren't there? Uh, out there, aren't there? Will, will you let us know real quickly? Give us a primer, you know. And and people, you know, everybody out there, I think, loves animals and loves dogs. Whether you're interested in pit bulls or not, and what and the prejudice 
that they face on a daily basis. I'm going to ask you to uh, to give us the floor and give us attention for a couple of minutes here, because I'm going to ask one of the world's foremost experts on this to describe what a pit bull is and, and why they're not what a lot of the world believes they are. Jason, can you take the floor on that? Well, you know, first of all, anything with a blockhead and a big chest these days is considered a pit bull. You know, that's that's what falls into that category of dog. Um, you know, it's not a breed. There's a couple of breeds that make up with what we deal with. Um, they're not usually purebred American Staffordshire Terriers or, you know, um, American Pitbull Terriers. You're, you're, getting, you're getting, you know, these crossbreeds and these mixtures. But, um, you know, people are afraid of what they don't know, Rick. And people don't know the breed. And that's the biggest problem. They've never had any experience with the breed. Their, their, their fear is based off of something that they've heard on the news or, you know, uh, seen on television. And they don't, they don't have any personal experience with, with, you know, I'll just put in quotation marks, the breed. They're actually a very loving breed. They're a very loyal breed and um, a dedicated breed. Their temperaments with humans are usually fantastic um, for the most part. Their downfall is sometimes they don't like other animals and people don't respect that and they put the animals in bad positions. The animals don't usually fail. It's people fail them. And um, there's a big difference. My biggest, my, my biggest problem is trying to explain to somebody the difference between human aggression and animal aggression. And um, that's, that's the biggest people who respect what these dogs are. They, they and it's no... like it brings up so, so many thoughts in, in, in my head, man, when I, when I hear this. I mean, this is all stuff that I think obviously, you know, I, I support and subscribe to. Um, you know, a couple of things I, – I know that I'm, this is a really unusual occasion for me, Jason, where I'm talking with somebody who knows more about this subject than I do. So I want to throw some of my thoughts out there, and then uh, and I want to see how you react to that. And I and I want to find out. You know, fact check me. I want to find out if I'm uh, if I'm in the know or if I've got stuff uh, stuff wrong. So you, you mentioned you know and what people think of these dogs. Um, you know, here's what I like to say. So a Pomeranian bites somebody. You typically don't read in the newspaper headline, Pomeranian goes on a rampage. Lhasa Apsa attacks. Uh, Bijon Prache goes bananas. I mean, we don't, we don't see that kind of stuff, do we? Um, my, my understanding, is that there's, there's a phrase I heard years ago called the 68 to 8 rule. And this is all percentage and statistics, meaning that any time any dog breed attacks other than a pit bull-type dog, and my understanding about that is there could be 8, 9, 10, 12 different breeds. Of, you said blockhead. It could be so many different breeds that are called a pit bull. That any time a dog that's not a pit bull-type attacks, their breed is only reported 8% of the time by the media. It's more like dog attacks, not uh, not golden retriever mauls. No, no. A pit bull-type dog attacks 68% of the time. 
the, the words pit bull are mentioned. Does that sound right to you? Um, I, I don't know statistically. I, I can't give you an honest number, but a lot of, from what I've seen, I, I, I've had a friend of mine that worked on an ambulance for many years, and he responded to a, a, a child who got attacked by a dog, and it came over as a pit bull. And it was a 90-pound black lab. Yeah. But, there you, you know, go. Um, we've had news stories here where they say, pit bulls at large, and then it's a German shepherd. You know, um, but the word pit bull sells. It's like, you know, uh, anytime that there's anything that's in the news, it's never a positive story about a pit bull. It's always a negative story. So that's what people are conditioned for. And it's like if, if you if you go into the – you know, you go into the doctor with a dog bite, they're going to say, was it a pit bull? I mean, that's how people are programmed. And, you know, in all fairness, that's what people know, that the media portrays, so that's what they're going to hear. So, you know, it's it's common. And, you know, there's a big difference between a lopsa opsu biting somebody and a pit bull. Pit bulls will probably inflict more damage than a smaller dog, too. So the bites are going to be more severe because, you know, these dogs are athletes, you know, they're, they're stronger. No, 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 without, without question. And, you know, and, and that's where I think it all lies. There's a certain look to the dog, and they're, they're bigger, stronger dogs than most. Uh, and, by the way, for our listeners out there, pit bulls, jaws, don't lock. That's a physiological impossibility. No, no animal on this planet has a jaw that actually locks. They're stronger than most. They have a bigger bite pressure than most, but not even as big as a couple of breeds. Uh, Rottweiler, for instance, is, is that right. correct, Jason? From 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 what I know, yes, Rottweilers have more pound per yeah. Yeah, yes. so you know this is like saying my, my my big black pro wrestling buddies, who are some of the nicest humans you would ever meet. Man, you know if you got on the wrong side of one of them and you you pushed them to the point where they're actually going to react which would take way, way more work to get them to react than it would my buddy Greg, who's a 5-foot-8-inch, uh, uh, 50-year-old Jewish uh, CPA. Greg, Greg's going to lash out way before my, my, my giant pro wrestling buddies. Well, if these guys lash out, they're going to do more damage. But, but they're not predisposed to attack any more than any other person, probably less. And, and to me, that's like the, the ultra... Um, the ultra way to paint the picture of our beloved bullies. They're, they're just not that likely to attack a human, period. If they do, they're going to do more damage because of their physiological makeup. But that's almost like saying, well, and I hear from people, if that's the case, then they shouldn't exist. And that's like saying, well, then my, my friends, because they're big and strong, shouldn't exist either. I know it might sound like a silly comparison, but, but that's how I see it. You know, we created this problem. You know, we created this breed as as as, as humans. We created this breed, um, so we're responsible for it. And now that they're here, now that they, you know, eighty-five um, percent of the dogs in pounds across the United States, inner cities, are pit bull and pit bull mixes, and eighty-five percent of the rescues don't rescue them. So we've got an epidemic. So you think that you're going to eradicate them by just euthanizing all of them? That's not going to solve your problem. We've had breed-specific pit, uh, legislation against pit bulls in, in many states, and the dog bites have not gone down. The number of pit bulls that enter the pound every year has not changed. It doesn't work. So obviously 
eradicating the world of them. No, they'll just create another breed. It's like prohibition, man. It's nice on paper, but it was speakeasies, and eventually what happened? You know, <laughs> they legalized alcohol again. Um, it's not the answer, man. You've got you've to you've deal with it, and um, we need help. It's, it's a huge problem, and people don't care. You, you know, people love dogs. People don't understand dogs, and they, they, they think that they're going to love dogs that everything's going to be okay. Now, even we're in a world now in a time where even dog lovers hate pit bulls. It's the breed that they love to hate, Rick. And this is the problem. I can rescue them all day. I could take dogs in every day. Finding them the right homes, that's the hard part. Rescuing is not the hard part. The medical needs, I've got a great vet staff. You know, um, my veterinarian is fantastic. My vet techs, I've got access to the best veterinarians in in, in Georgia. Um, that's not the problem. Raising the money to take care of them, not the problem. Trying to find the home for them, the right home. The right home, that's the key, right, that understands how to, how to take care of an, an animal and one right. that potentially is more powerful than most, sure. Right. And, you know, we deny 80% of our applications, man. No, and I know you're really stringent about that, and I appreciate that, because that, that is going to prevent the, or, or eliminate the, the likelihood they're going to end up back in a shelter again when you screen that hard. I, I do want to say this, though, man. It's really funny. Um, I, I want to illustrate a, a point about pit bulls for everybody that might be listening out there. So I, I have my four personal babies here at home with me right now, and I'm looking at all four of them right now. They're, they're, they're lazy. They're sleeping. What, what a surprise, right, Jason? These dogs, they, they like to sleep, that's for sure. So for some reason, I always thought I wanted pit bulls, and I went and met my first that I might adopt. Uh, this is now about 13 years ago. And I went to this guy's house where he was raising Staffordshire Bull Terriers, and I walked into his front yard, and the guy wasn't, uh, he was in the house, he wasn't out in the yard. So I walk in the yard, and like five of these dogs came running up to me. And I, I have to admit, man, I was afraid. I'm like, oh my God, look at these things. They're these little blockheads, and they're jumping on me, and I like started yelling for the guy, right? And I think back to that now, and it makes me laugh. That happened now, man. I just lay down on the ground and let them all over me, because I know, I know the difference now, and I understand it. Um, and it, so the point being that when I first, you know, met these types of dogs, I didn't know anything about them. And it's all these years later now. I'm at home with four of them. My girl, Gogo, she came from, from Linda Blair, who is my partner in rescue. Everyone knows Linda is the girl from The Exorcist, and she has a, uh, a pit bull nonprofit foundation in California. I got Gogo from Linda about eight years ago, and Gogo is jet black. And she looks the part, man, and she has such a deep, deep bark. Um, my brother even said, wow, she's kind of scary when he first met her. And this is the sweetest freaking living being I've ever met in my entire life. There is not a mean bone in her body. And th this poor girl, because of you know what she is or how she looks, was found in a freezing backyard in California, in a tiny cage, 
chained to the top of the cage by her neck with her nipples hanging to the ground because she was not being fed. And the, the guy later was interviewed saying, oh, well, I, I thought she was dangerous when someone brought her over, so I just chained her there and didn't want to get near her. I, I don't know my point of all this other, other than to say it, it's the most misunderstood living being out there, in my opinion. W- would you agree? Definitely, man. I've taken dogs from situations that I've got. I mean, I could sit here. For, we can go for days, and I can tell you stories of dogs that have gone through the worst shit in their lives and they're the most amazing animals. I mean, you talk about Gogo. I've got little baby Fabio in my, in my, I call him baby Fabio. He's probably five years old. I call him baby Fabio because he's a baby. He's, he's the biggest baby. All this dog wants to do is be in bed with me, curled up next to me, holding me. Um, I personally, people talk shit and they, um, oops, am I allowed to say shit? <laughs> That's completely fine. Sir John, is that Okay. Oh, of course. Of course. Okay. <laughs> yes, you can. John, our producer, says yes. That's fine. Awesome. Um, so, you know, um, everybody talks shit and they say, oh, I have a bait dog. Um, I have a, a fighting dog. He came from a fighting ring. I have a bait dog. Um, all the years that I've been doing this, and I've actually taken dogs from cases, um, dog fighting cases, I've never seen a bait dog. Um, I've heard of one. Um, people tell me it's a bait dog. I've never witnessed it. Uh, Game-bred fighting dogs? Yes. Plenty of them. My house is full of them. Um, Baby Fabio, I personally cut off the chain at a dog fighting bus. The guy got 15 years. Um, Over 100 dogs. And um, I cut all the dogs off the the chain for the police department. And um, we took in a bunch of them. But Fabio was one of the worst and the most heavily scarred dog up up there. And uh, he had... uh, already had stitches in his face, so obviously he was fought. Somebody stitched him back up, and they were going to use him again because they liked him. Um, I took Fabio in, and he was a wild child, a little 35-pound black spitfire, heavily scarred up, um, game as they come, and wouldn't settle down, um, couldn't relax, barked, jumped, biting at the kennel. Uh, I had to bring him in for surgery. He had a hole in his mouth that we were trying to close from a previous fight. And um, I brought him upstairs with me. And the dog that stayed in my bedroom at the time uh, had recently passed away. And uh, so I brought him in there so I could keep an eye on him after surgery. And he was just looking at me. And I said, do you want to come in the bed? And I opened up the kennel and I let him in the bed. He's never left, man. He yells at me every night to go to bed. He snuggles up with me. This dog makes me laugh every single day, and he's decompressed. It's been two years now. He walks by. Like, he couldn't see another dog. He would go through a window to try to get to another dog. Now, walks by all the other dogs in the living room. You know, I've got 28 to 30 pit bulls at my place, and um, he'll walk by them in their kennels. He doesn't pay attention to them. He'll sniff them good morning, you know, through the kennels, walks outside, does his business. As soon as he does his business, that turd doesn't hit the floor, and he's running back to the bed. And, I mean, he just can't wait. He loves the amount of love that these dogs have for people. I don't think people get it until they experience it. No, no. dog no dog will ever love you, Rick, like a pit bull will. The bond that you have with a pit bull is, 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 is as intense as these dogs can be against another animal. 
double that, and that's how much they love you. Well, as the uh, as the old saying goes, you you're a preacher to the choir, my friend. That's for sure. You you mentioned the term game bred fighting dog. That sounds pretty intimidating and pretty scary. But that that is that's the dog you're describing, right? Yeah, yeah game bred. Um, you know, and for those that are listening that don't understand what game bred is, they were bred specifically off of lines, off of lineages, lineage to fight other animals. That's what they were bred to do. I get that. So to fight other animals, I want to talk about their interaction with people for a moment. And, you know, when I say the following, other people think I'm nuts, but you could go to to uh, Sean Abel's place in El Dorado Springs, Missouri, where there's 100 pit bull type dogs there, or Linda Blair's in uh, Acton, California, where there's over 100, or to, um, to Gina Ross's on Maui, where there's over 100. And not not that I'm going to recommend or endorse the following, it's just to make a point, but of these 300 pit bull type dogs, there are almost zero that you could not approach. You go right up to them, say hello. They just want to meet people and make friends. I can tell you that in my, you know, 12 years in rescue now, I've been bitten probably about 10 times. And all those 10 times, not a single one has been a pit bull type dog. So my exposure to other breeds has been minimal. My exposure to pit bulls has been massive, yet not one bite. And it's just, you know, we, we can go on and on about this forever, but I, I want to make my point. They, they're a kinder, gentler, sweeter dog to humans than just about any other dog out there. Yeah, I mean, and temperament test, if you look at, like, the temperament testing on these dogs, um, pit bulls actually do, they beat out majority of the other breeds when it comes to temperament testing. They've they've scored really high. They're up there with the golden retrievers, you know, and that's like America's dog, you know? Yeah, without over with the Labrador. I think they're ahead of golden retrievers last I saw, actually. Maybe. Maybe. I haven't, I haven't looked in years, man. But, you know, um, definitely, definitely. I mean, and maybe they have a good reason, you know? I've seen the shit that they've been through. Um, I have a couple at my house that that have hurt people, um, but they've never. I've been bit. Shit, I've got a bunch of stitches in my body. Um, never been outright. It's never been an outright fight towards me. It's always been like breaking a dog fight up. You know, putting my hands where they don't belong. Oh yeah, that's always fun. I know. I've got a few of those myself. Sure. You know, it happens. Um, they're like kids. You know, I remember with with my brother, you know, we played ball. I throw a ball. He'd throw it a little harder. I'd throw it harder. I'd miss it. Then he'd fire it back at me. Next thing you know, we're rolling around on the floor punching each other. Um, you know, same thing happens with dogs sometimes. They could be friendly, and then something happens. So, you know, it's par for the course. It's um, it's, it's it's my responsibility. It's, it's my, uh, you know, it's my job. All right, so let, let's let's switch over into to some uncharted territory here. Okay. So you, as much if not more than just about anybody, have seen some of the the horrible abuse that's been inflicted upon these beautiful creatures. Uh, when you see that, because you've seen it so much now, are, are you numb to it, or do you have a different uh, reaction? Fuck, man, I wish I was. Um, it affects me. It affects me so much that I had to do something about it. That's, so what you do? You know, that's, that's the whole premise of my, my rescue. Um, you know, forlorn means thrown away, discarded, nobody wants you. 
Nobody wants a pit bull. Nobody wants a fucked up pit bull. Nobody wants a dog, you know. And those are the ones that call me the most. Those are the ones that, you know, I want to fight for. I want to fight for the ones that nobody wants. I want the ones that, I want the, the, maybe it's because I relate to them, but I want the ones that everybody gave up on because people gave up on me when I was younger. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, man, I, I wish, Rick, I wish I could be numb to it. Me so much that, you know, um, I changed my life for it. I mean, I, I shouldn't say I gave up everything because I gained so much more than I ever had. But, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to take a, an animal that you see that is suffering and that everybody else has given up on and to see the turnaround and to see the comeback. The comebacks are so much better than the setbacks, man. And uh, it's almost selfish for me. Um, no, dude, I, I, I hear you loud and clear, man, and apologize for the interruption, as I always say on the show. I tend to do that a lot. Um, t- two of my four were two of the most abused animals I've ever seen. And, and my other girl, Eos, when she came into uh, to the rescue in California, was so emaciated and so starved that, I mean, she looked like the canine version of an Auschwitz survivor. She couldn't even stand up on her own power. And uh, Linda had named her Pancake because she would flatten out and try to hide and make herself invisible at the slightest, uh, slightest noise or provocation. And it's, uh, it's six years later now, and she's fat and happy. I wouldn't say fat, but she, she looks really good. And she will run and literally leave her feet and leap into your arms. And it's, it, it's so beautiful to see the turnaround and to see that kind of joy. So there, there's yeah. nothing more gratifying than that. I, I completely agree with you. Now we've taken them, we've taken them shot, stabbed, their faces ripped off, um, you, you name it, um, hit by cars, set on fire. I, hey, now let me ask you this. This is a definite interruption, but I have to ask you. You know, we're here on Talking Tough. That we, we feature, again, what appear to be the world's toughest men and women here. And, and we do our share of storytelling here also. We get deep, we get into heart, we get into vulnerability. We do our share of storytelling, though, too. Have you ever come face to face with an abuser during the act? I've. Uh, an abuser? Yeah, man, I had a guy, um, I got called out, uh, a a woman called me out, she went to church with a young couple, they had a, uh, a family down in South, they had a young, young couple, they had, um, the wife's brother, uh, had a litter of pit bull puppies, and had them at their house with the mother and the father. And he never came back for the dogs. He would come sporadically for the dogs. So they called. They needed help with the dogs. They were getting too much. The puppies were like six weeks old, and they were they were crazy, and they needed some help. And the brother was supposed to take the dogs, and he never did. And they were feeding them, and they were struggling. So an uh, elderly woman from the church called me and asked me if I could come down and help out. So I said, sure. So I brought some dewormer, brought some puppy food, and uh, – they told him they could pull the dog from the mother and, you know, try to reach the brother and find out what the deal is. And, you know, we can help place 
the um, the puppies get them fixed and everything like that. Went through spaying and neutering and the importance of vaccines and you know all that good stuff. And um, while I'm there, the brother shows up and he takes the father dog out of the kennel. And uh, you know, the dog's been in the kennel for a while outside and. Of course, he's hyped up, so he comes running over and jumps up on me. He's looking for attention. He's sniffing everybody. He's running around. And the guy grabs the dog by the collar and, like, body slammed him. Oh, shit. Okay. And I said, hey, man, you don't have to do that. And he's like, don't tell me how to, you know, handle my dogs. He goes, I raise up pit bulls. And I said, okay. I said, I'm just telling you don't do it in front of me. And he's like, like I, you know, we had a couple of words, and I said, look, you know, I'm here to help. I said, I want to help you with the dogs. I can get them fixed. He's like, I breed pit bulls. That's what I do. I sell them. And I said, okay. I said, wow. I'm, I'm here. I said, I can deworm the dogs for you. They're full of worms. I said, I can get you some vaccines. I have vaccines here. I said, if you want me to take the puppies, he's like, no, I'm selling them. I said, you know, and I try to explain to him what goes on in pounds and in one ear, out the fucking other, man. Yeah, and the seven um, eight of the dogs he sells are going to end up being yeah. put down in shelters, right? So, you know, I drove I drove down about an hour and a half from where I live, and um, I said, okay, man, well, here's my card. If you need me, if you change your mind, uh, you want to get the dogs fixed, I said, I'll cover it. I said, I'll help you place them into good homes. I said, you know, and he's like, you know. so the, the, the dog jumped up on me again, and uh, he turned around, and he slammed the dog in front of me again, and I, and I turned to him, and I said, I said, yeah, man, you, you can't do that, man. I said, stop doing that shit. And I, I got upset, and he started running his mouth and said a few choice things, and I just turned to a little old church lady, and I said, look out. She goes, what? I said, he's going to fall by you. And I just I nailed him a shot. I lost my cool, and I nailed him a shot. <laughs> Put him okay. out. Okay. All right. Good. You know, um, not no, I, I don't advocate for promote no, violence. Man. I'm going to say, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you know what? Um, street justice. I got in my car. I left. It didn't solve any of the problem. Um, I apologized. Uh, the church lady was like, he needed it. <laughs> she says he didn't get up for 10 minutes. I said, yeah. I said, okay, I'm good. Good, man. Said, um, you know what? I got to tell you, again, I don't like violence, but that makes me kind of happy to hear that. Cause we, that gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling. And know, I know the listeners probably aren't going to like how that <laughs> sounds, but tough luck. You know, listen, that was in the beginning when I first started. That was 10 years ago, you know, nine, 10 years ago. Um, I used to cut dogs off chains and steal them from people who were, who, mis, who were mistreating them. You know, I'd go and, you know, I told you my story of, of why I got into rescue and everything like that. Um, and, you know, I would get calls and I just had to respond. It was like this savior complex. I had to save every dog. And I... I used to cut dogs off of chains, not realizing that there's just going to be another dog there tomorrow and another chain. Well, you weren't, you had, your heart was in the right place, but you weren't educated yet. Yes. No, and it took, you know, here's the thing, Rick. I didn't have any rescue mentors. I knew nothing about animal rescue. I knew nothing. I had a pit bull when I grew up. I was can can I, in, I interrupt again? I was going to ask if I could interrupt, but I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to do it. Uh, my mentor, and, and I, I've got to introduce you to this guy one day. His name is Kyle Schwalb. He has a small rescue in the San Fernando Valley of California called Smash Face. And Kyle is a guy that, like, East Valley or East L.A. shelter will call 
when they've got a big master for Connie Corso, who's like terrorizing the staff there, he'll come pull them and he'll work his magic with them. But Kyle is a guy, unlike you and I, miraculously, who don't have criminal records, as we discussed before we got on this call. Um, Kyle's this big, strapping guy who's got like 11 arrests for battery because Kyle finds out that a dog is being abused, uh, a pit bull type is being abused. He will get right in the abuser's face and, and quite literally, and when I say literally, I mean literally, quite literally beat the crap out of them, where, where he's beating them so bad that people are, are pooping themselves. And uh, again, I don't, uh, you kind of hear the laughter in my voice. I'm not advocating for it, but that's how, uh, that's how some of us react, man. So one day, Jason, I'm going to introduce you to Kyle. That's the moral of that story. I'd I, I love it. But, you know, um, most of the time, Rick, honestly, I'm called after the fact. I'm called when the animals are discovered and the people have either been charged or, you know, the animals have been seized already. So I don't get to really see the abusers. And I think maybe God or whoever there is out there, whatever you want to believe in, uh, maybe made that happen. Because if I focus on that shit, um, if I focus on going after these people and putting hands on them, then I'm not going to use my hands for what they're for. Like, my hands can take a life, or my hands could save a life. And I'm a, I'm a lot better at saving a life, and I'm a lot more useful. If I beat some punk up who kicked his dog and I end up in jail, who's going to care for my animal? No, that's a really you know, good you know what I mean? so way to look at it, for sure. I've got to, and maybe it's maturity. You know, I'm 47 years old now, and maybe it's maturity setting in. Um, finally, it's, you know, I got to know my fight. I got to know my fight. And I'm on the front lines for a reason. And um, I've got to do what I've got to do to save these dogs. Uh, so when, when people... I, look, I I don't know you that well yet. We've had a few conversations. We're we're I dare say becoming friends. Um, I don't know you that well though. And and one thing I do know is you don't. And I mean this in a good way. You don't care what people think about you. But if you did, people see you or hear your name. What would you want them to say about you? That I gave it my all. Like if if if. if a eulogy, you know, like a, a eulogy, um, eulogize me, like if, if yeah, I die. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so if, if 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 it was my legacy, I'd, I'd wanna I'd wanna say that I'd want people to say that he gave it his all. He he loved really hard, um, and he he was committed, you know, and he never gave up. That's that's what I that's what that's what I would wanna be remembered as, you know, somebody who who fought for what they believed in. And, and this is all about, um, or if not all, largely about the betterment of our of our canine companions. Obviously, I know that. And yeah. that's amazing. I would, I would ultimately in my life love to be remembered for the same thing, so I appreciate the way you said that. How, you. How, um, how are you doing in your life, uh, you know, with relationships with other people? And, and the reason I ask that is those of us in the dog world oftentimes tend to isolate ourselves and make our worlds all about the dogs at the expense of relating to other humans. Is that a fair description of you or are you different? Man, I'm, it's hard because 
in the, in the line of work that I'm in, you see humans fail these dogs at such an alarming rate. But then there's the, the people that you come in contact with that are willing to fight the good fight with you. And as much as people let me down, there are people there that really, you know, um, shine. And it's it's such a rough path that I chose. It's not easy. But I wasn't elected. I put myself here. At the end of the day, this is my road that I went down, that I carved. I carved this path for myself. I chose to be here. I brought this on myself. And, you know, you have to, you, you, you distance yourself from humanity because, you know, the world's a beautiful place, man. People sometimes really fucking suck. <laughs> and in, in this line of work, you see the, the worst of the worst and you see the best of the best. And I live my life. You know, I've been humbled in life. I've, I've, had, my, I've had my ass kicked, you know, um, emotionally, physically, financially, every day. You take beatings. And um, my philosophy now is be decent. Be decent to everyone and everything that you come across. I live that same way, man. Every time you know, I encounter another human being, that's always on my mind. Absolutely. I, I want to be, like the other day I was driving down the road, and um, I guess a girl's Ford Explorer um, ran out of gas or something. She was broken down in the turn lane, and I guess she was with her father or her grandfather, and he was out trying to push this thing up a hill into a shopping center. I just parked my car in the shopping center. I got out, and I pushed the van up there for him. He's like, I didn't say a word to him. I just got out, and I pushed it. He's like, I never would have got it up the hill. And he's like, thank you. I'm like, no thanks needed, man. Don't worry about it. It's just a decent thing to do. You know, you see, you see somebody walking, you open the door for them. You see somebody struggling with a package, you grab it for them. You no, dude, I'm so with you. And you know what's crazy about that these days? Like, and I think I've brought this up on this podcast before, so apologies out there if I have. But, Jason, when's the last time, and I'm gonna, I'm, there's a reason I'm asking this, when's the last time you held open a door for a woman that was 30 years old or younger? Is that recent? Yeah, every, any time. Yeah, it happens. Okay, I, I do that too. I mean, you know, my, my mama raised me with manners, and, and that's that's the way it should be. But it's in today's society, man, it's like if, if you get that age, you know, that age break and it's younger, you almost get shot the evil eye every single time. Like you want something out of them or you're doing this to for a reason. Do you, have you experienced that? I, not, not with like holding the door for, for anybody. Um, you know, these days, you know, Everything changed. You have to be really careful with what you say, and you don't you don't want to offend everybody. And you almost have to be more accepting of things that you weren't accept, accepting of years ago. You know, for me, I don't do politics, I don't do religion, I don't do any because that just gets in the way of what my goals are. Like my rescue is diverse, 
I don't care about your color of skin. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't get, I don't want you mainlining heroin. But if you want to smoke a little weed and at night when nobody's around, I don't care. But you know, I don't, I don't. That's not my issue. You know, anything that separates people, I'm, I, I'm not for it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know who you voted for. Not my business. I don't care what you believe in. All I want to know is. Are you a good person? I don't care about your country of origin. You know, I, I really don't care, man. Just be decent. Gay, straight, blue, black. You know, just be a decent person. You don't like somebody? That's fine. You don't have to like a particular thing. Don't hurt them. Like, you don't have to like pit bulls. I'm not asking you to like pit bulls. But don't fucking hurt them. Don't mistreat them. You know? Uh, that's the way I feel with people. You don't like a... A certain race of people you don't like, a, a, you know, that's on you. That's on you, not me. But you don't have to hurt them, and you don't have to be mean to them. I don't want to be mean to anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, in the boxing ring, if I get in there and I'm sparring or something with somebody, yeah, my goal is to, to hurt them. My, my goal is to get the best of them. But you know what? They fall down, I'm going to pick them up, and after it's over, I'm going to hug them. Yeah, you don't actually try to hurt them. You don't want to inflict harm on them. You're in a a contest, that's all. Right. Right. And you know something? Um, Not that I'm not capable of it, man. You know, I'm fully capable. But I don't want to ever, ever have to hurt anybody. I'm not going to let – but see, I don't know. Maybe you're old school like me. If If I see a guy screaming at a woman and the woman looks scared, I mean, I did it uh, last year. I guess these people had a little road accident, and this guy was screaming at, her, at this woman and her daughter. I turned around, and I got out of the car, and I told the guys, you better get out of this woman's face, man. You know, I'm like, you don't scream. She hit my car. I said, I don't care what she fucking did. You don't scream at somebody like that. That's somebody's wife. That's somebody's mother. That's There's a child here. And I waited with the woman until the police got there. You know, as soon as the cops got there, he said, did you see the accident? I said, I didn't see anything. The only thing I saw was this guy getting real aggressive and real nasty with this woman. I said, and she was petrified. You know, but most people won't do that these days. Everybody wants no, to no, they won't. They people... want to get on their cell phone, right? They want to get on their cell phone and record it, yep. and put it on, on, on Facebook or, you know, on YouTube or something like that. I'm not going to let that happen, man. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not that guy. I can't sit there and watch something happen in front of me and not help. You know, I'm, you know, like I said, I've been humbled in life. And since certain events have happened to me, I've become an empath where I start to feel others' pain. I was going to say, man, it sounds like you feel the pain of the world. And, and I can relate to that, man. Believe me, I can relate to that all the way down to not being religious, not being political. It's all it's all about people and, and peace and, you know, for at risk of being cliche, positivity. But it sounds like you you do feel everybody's pain. Has, has that affected you personally at all? It beats the shit out of me, Rick. I don't, you know, it's men are men, and we're strong and we're tough, and you're not supposed to show emotion, and you're not supposed to be sensitive to things. You're supposed to be a man. You're supposed to be tough, and you're supposed to be, you know, um, you're not supposed to, you know. You're not supposed to see me cry and all this and all. And 
like I said before, you know, when we were talking earlier, I said, just because I'm in pain doesn't mean I'm weak. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. Just because I have a big heart and I'm compassionate and I feel for other people and I feel for animals, that doesn't make me, that doesn't make me vulnerable. That doesn't make me weak. It makes me more of a man. It's a lot easier to mistreat an animal than it is to treat them well. It's a lot easier to hurt than it is to, to save. And, um, you know, has it affected me, man? It affects me every day. Every day. And we touched on depression before. And Well, um, you and I have privately. We've talked about that. Uh, yeah. This would be the first that our listeners will hear about it. Uh, I, I've definitely had my bouts with the big D, no doubt about it, and I'm constantly working myself through that. Is, is that something, that being depression, is, is that something that's pervasive in your life? It's a catalyst, man. I've built, I've built this rescue on – people tell me, and you know, I'm fairly well-respected in, in, in pit bull rescue and animal welfare, and people tell me what a great rescue I run. They say, Jason, you run a great pit bull rescue. And I turn around and I say to myself, no, these pit bulls run a great Jason rescue. Because if it wasn't for these dogs, and if it wasn't for the, this rescue, I probably wouldn't be here. And every day, these dogs are my anchor. These dogs are what ground me. These dogs are what keep me. They, they're, they're my reason to fight. They're my reason to go on. I've lost, um, I've taken some big losses, man. And that's what this, you know, this is the origin of my rescue. The origin of my rescue comes from from my fight, man. Um, it was a little pit bull puppy that saved my life. And I promised him that I would pay it forward and I would go to the pound and get him a friend. And I walked into the pound and it was like something I never, it, you know, you mentioned the Holocaust before. Canine Holocaust. The pound I walked into didn't adopt out pit bulls to the public. Oh, always a bad idea for those of us in the know, right? And they um, they euthanized a hundred and I can't even say euthanized. Euthan humane euthanasia is when you put a dog to sleep because it's suffering. Because they're suffering, right? Yeah. Right. When a perfectly healthy dog is is killed in a pound for space. It's not euthanasia. Nope. Fucking murder. <laughs> um, and don't blame the pounds. Don't blame the pounds. Blame fucking society. It's like the prisons. The prisons are not to blame for the prisoners. You know, you can't bl- blame the establishment. Blame, <laughs> blame the people. We failed them. Um. So, you know. If you want to backpedal a little bit, I'll tell you my story. Um, born in 1973, um, lived in a two-bedroom apartment. My mom, my dad, my older brother, two years older than me. Queens, New York, lower um, middle-class area maybe. Um, Pipple Calvin was there when I was born. 
He was already part of the family. Uh, mom was a uh, a nurse. Dad was a car salesman. Not a great upbringing. Mom and dad very hostile. Um, not a not a good home. Mom tried. Mom loved. Dad was a little rough. Um, dad left when I was, I think, 14. My brother was the good kid, quiet. I was the street kid. And when your dad leaves when you're at that age, um, it goes pretty south pretty fast. And uh, not that my parents didn't try. It's just that, you know, um, I got in trouble. Never good. I got thrown out of high school, went to another school, got thrown out of there. I got my uh, good enough diploma. I got my GED. Um, went to college for a little bit. Took a couple of just wasn't for me. Um, was bouncing in nightclubs, um, driving trucks, doing security work. Um, my cousin gave me a shot on Wall Street. I was his assistant. He was a commodity trader and broker. He says, why don't you come work for me? And uh, he says, you could be my assistant. I'll teach you. And I didn't know anything about it, but I love my cousin. And uh, he gave me a shot. Next thing you know, it got my license and had a fairly successful career. Um, went from commodities into uh, equity research. Worked for an equity research publication for 14 years. Um don't know how I did it, but I ended up being really successful. Um, had everything, everything I wanted. Um, made good money, really good money. Bought a house in, in Queens. Um, got married. Uh, had stepkids. And um, I wanted more for my family. And uh, I had uh, some good friends who moved down to Georgia. So we came down here to take a look. We saw kind of how things were down here, and I was able to take my job and work from home. And we decided it would be a no-brainer because New York is expensive. And, you know, um, although I made great money, I'm a kid without a high school diploma. And I got really far in life. I never filled out. I never had a resume. I just was a go-getter and a hustler, and I worked hard. And um, always in the fear of, you know, I grew up, my father always told me that I was going to be dead or in jail. And um, I always had that fear that uh, I never never wanted to owe anybody anything. I always wanted to be okay, and I never wanted to live above my means. And You know, because when you come from nothing, and you have something, you want to protect it. So I said, you know what, our money goes a lot further in Georgia. The kids, you know, the neighborhood was changing in New York. It was getting rough. And I uh, sold my house in, uh, they used to call it Death Haven. It was Woodhaven. We used to call it Death Haven back in the day. And um, moved down here. But before I moved down here, I was with my friend. We were looking at houses. And uh, I got the worst phone call of my life, Rick. My older brother, Evan. Um, was a highly decorated federal agent. Um, great kid. You know, if you had a daughter, 
you would want want your daughter to date my brother. Clean cut, smart, um, good, wholesome guy. Really good dude. Um, he was having some marital issues. And uh, I got a phone call while I was down here looking at houses that uh, it was 15 years ago. July will be 15 years. My brother took his own life. He shot himself. And, um, you know, we talk about the big D. I never understood it, man. I never understood depression. So I came, I flew back home. I had to take care of my mom. My mom wasn't well. Um, I was selling one house, buying another house down here. I went right back to work. I never mourned. So that happened July 22nd. October 1st, I moved down here to Georgia. And I moved down here into this big, beautiful house, seven bedrooms, four bathrooms, backyard. And uh, it was fantastic. Um, my wife and the kids stayed up at, uh, in New York to finish the school year. So I was down here in this big house painting and, um, you know, working from home. And that's when it hit me. You know, I never had time to mourn my brother. And it hit me. And for the first time in my life, I was vulnerable, man. Um, if you told me 15 years ago, I'm depressed, I can't move, I can't, I can't get up, I can't function. I tell you, get up and go get a fucking job. Stop your bullshit. Yep. You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't get it. Man, there were days that I was underneath my desk in my home office, this beautiful house that I had. I was underneath this desk, curled up in a ball. Now, every time my phone rang, Rick, it was money. You know? I made six figures since the time I was 23 years old. And... um Every time I picked up the phone, it was money. Now, on the outside, here I am all tattooed up in the world, working for Wall Street, working from home in a seven-bedroom house. You know, nothing fazed me, man. I didn't use doors. I walked through fucking walls. You know? Um, I was on top of my, my game. You know, I did security in nightclubs. I feared nothing and no one. And now I, I was curled up in a ball underneath my desk, crying like a baby and I couldn't stop there were days it was so painful that uh, my wife would call my stepbrother who lived down here and to come in and do a check on me to make sure I was still alive because I didn't want to go on anymore no but I had to for my mother you know my mother lost one son and I couldn't do it to her I didn't want to live anymore. And money couldn't, money, the pool, the nothing made me feel good, man. I mean, a street kid from Queens with no other, no education, who was making legitimate money, with you know, working for a very well-known financial publication and equity research firm. I'm a managing director underneath me. I'm making money hand over fist. Doing well. I have guys working for me that have master's degrees. And here I am, this little punk with a GED, and I'm running the show. And I'm working from home. I had the world, man. I, I went out. I bought 
a brand new car and cash and put a sunk a hundred fifty grand into my backyard and you know um it meant nothing man it meant nothing but how do you tell the world that, that you know when you have the world on your shoulders and you're you're carrying the world how do you tell the world that you're breaking down and that you can't do this anymore no you don't man because you have a you have an image or, or a facade to maintain of right. course i understand that so you you've got to be strong for everybody else yep that's what i mean man yep you know and you've got to be strong for everybody else but meanwhile on the inside you're dying you're dying like um if you want to get real, man, sometimes I used to go to bed. I went two years without sleep. And I know you're saying, oh, that's impossible. No, I'd fall asleep for an hour, get up for two. Oh, so sure, man. That's absolutely um, you know? realistic, sure. And I'm not knocking anybody, but shrinks aren't my thing. My, I found out my brother was under psychiatric care when he took his own life. He never told anybody. He paid for it out of his pocket because he didn't want the federal you know, government to know because he didn't want to lose his job. And um, so it was just never for me. And I don't knock people. People, you know, listen, if therapy helps you, good for you. And I praise you for it, but it just wasn't for me. For me, man, drugs never was my thing, never will be. Um, Never went down that road. When I talk about my demons, man, my demons were my own mind. And um, what weighed heavily on me, Rick, was that the night before we were leaving to Georgia to go look at houses, my brother called me and asked me if I wanted to go for Chinese food. My wife and my stepdaughter were fighting at the time because she didn't want to, you know, stepdaughter didn't want to go to Georgia because she didn't want to leave her boyfriend and all this and all that. And um, I turned to him and I said, Evan, let me call you back. I said, these two girls are going to kill each other. I said, I'll call you back in a little while. Called him back. Got hung up with shit. And the next day he killed himself while I was in Georgia. I never forgave myself for that, man. And to this day, I don't. Well, Jason, I'm riveted, man. I haven't said a word in a while because I'm listening, but uh, I need to jump in here. You're, You're deserving of forgiveness. Do you know that? You know, your your brother didn't kill himself because you didn't call him back or because you didn't talk to him on the phone. You know that, don't you? You know, part of me, I've heard it a million times, man. I tell myself that, but in the back of my mind, no matter what anybody says, you know, if something's wrong with my dog, I know it. If, you know, if I can tell you when my dog's going to take a shit, I can tell you my behaviors on my dog. Why did I miss that from my brother, you know? And I know what you're saying, and regardless, if he was going to take his own life, he was going to take it. And there's nothing that I was going to do. Do you see a day coming in your future when you can forgive yourself for that? Is that possible? I don't know, man. I don't know. But, you know, out of tragedy came something really beautiful. So while I suffered, man, Eventually, the wife and the kids moved down and um, we put a fence up in the yard. And uh, what happened was I met a guy. I used to take rides. I'd take a lunch break, and i go take a ride. I live in a pretty rural area. And I went down a, a dirt road 
um, with some horses. I met a guy over there who had the horses, and uh, we became friendly. And one day he called me up, said his daughter found this little pit bull puppy. And he was five weeks old, covered in fleas, and she was gonna bring it, he was going to bring it to the pound. And I said, you know what? I promised the, the wife and kids we'd get a dog when we moved down here. And um, I took that little pit bull puppy in. And that was my therapy, man. Little Angelo uh, was uh, my reason. And I moved my mom down here. I got her a place down here. And um, that's how Friends of the Forlorn started. It was that little pit bull puppy. And then when I walked into the shelter to get him the shelter, the pound, there's such a confusing word. It's a misused word for sure, yeah. Just like sanctuary, just like euthanasia, just like humane. Um, so many words within the rescue community that are just they're, they're hard to define and make sense of. But but all all of that aside, uh, and this might be overly simplistic. It sounds to me like this dog Angelo and the dogs in general that they're the ones that saved you and give you a reason to keep on going. Is, would would you agree with that? It's the only reason, man. I've um, I've lost my brother. I've uh, I've lost uh, my job, you know, no longer um, Wall Street guy. Right, Jason, I, I'm I'm going to cut in now, so I think it's important for those of us who are listening, for those who might be listening out there. Um, I, I'm in I'm on Maui, as you know. I'm in my living room right now, and I'm actually that I've been really, really taking in and vibing on your story. And I can feel it, man. Wow. I mean, I, I've had a big mood shift uh, since we started talking, and that's okay. And I, I'm, I'm, like, sitting on my knees on my floor right now in front of my sofa, and my four pit bulls, Ramon and Dennis and Gogo and Eos, in that order left to right, are sleeping on the sofa in front of me. And, you know, R- Ramon, 12 years ago, this is right on the on the brink of my homelessness and worst descent into addiction. And right after losing my daughter and losing my dad and all that, I, I went through life saying all I have left are my dogs, Ramon and Marley. And I boarded them for a weekend because I needed to find a new place to live because I was, I was homeless for a couple of days. While they were boarded, that was my last money to board them, by the way, the facility let them escape. And Marley was run over and crushed by a car. And I, I saw his crushed body pulled out of a bag at the uh, Animal Friends Society in Lake Elsinore, California. And that was it for me, man. I lost it. I, I put my shotgun to my head. I don't know why I didn't pull the trigger, but I didn't. Now, I, I can look back on that day now and go, you know, if you told me then things happen for a reason, I, I probably, even though you're a tough guy like I am, I, pro- I probably would have done my best to, to take you out. But... It, it happened for a reason. That day got me in the dog rescue, more particularly pit bull rescue, and, that, and that's been a blessing. Now, we, we flash forward 10 years when I moved here to Maui. That's, that was after another about the kind of stuff that, that you're listing. There was the death of pretty much uh, almost every remaining family member I had. It was the loss again of my home, being homeless again, being more addicted than ever before. Uh, four back surgeries, infections, heart attack, two strokes. I'm like, dude, I'm done. And somehow, somehow, because I'm resilient like you are, 
I managed to get me and my three pit bulls moved to Maui. And now we're sitting here in this house where I should have been. And I'm here right now, dude. I'm, I tell you, today, I'm really happy. I'm looking out at nature. It's beautiful. I love my dogs more than anything. I live my life on purpose. I have friends. I have connection. But I can tell you, sitting here right now, it's just me sitting on the floor with my dogs. Two years ago, it was me sitting on the floor with my dogs. Nothing was different other than my mindset. Because two years ago, man, if my dogs weren't here, I would have put that gun back to my head. And and here's why I bring this up. And I want to I want to ask you back in on the following. So a lot of people are suffering these days. I mean, even aside from what's happening in, in our world today with the coronavirus, a lot of people are suffering. Um, I think we're at a time where, you know, we, we see spirituality and wanting to be good people on the rise. But at the same time, the, the depression and just, again, plain suffering is it's in a neck-and-neck race with, with spirituality and wanting to be good. What is – if if you had a minute or two or three or whatever it was to tell people listening out there that your life is not over and there's always hope, what would you tell them? Well, I'll tell you, it took me a while. And, you know, I uh, I put it to people like this. My pain is always going to be there. It's not something that, you know, you don't fully heal. At least I don't. Um, you struggle. But you've got to get to a place where your purpose is slightly greater than your pain. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to get that purpose in your life. You know? Can anybody find a purpose? Or is it just guys like us who want to be the top pit bull rescuer in the world? No, 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 no. There's so much wrong in the world, and there's so many causes, and there's so many wrongs that need to be righted. It doesn't have to be animals. It could be anything, man. You find your purpose. You find something that means something to you. It's out there. It's out there, and you stumble across it. You know, there are so many people that go through life that never, ever find their purpose because they don't have to. You know, you and I share that similar experience where our dogs basically were the only thing that mattered to us. You know? Um, I do know. Yeah, and you were curled up under your desk, and I was kneeling on the floor, I couldn't no, move. You couldn't I, move. No, so there are people out there right now listening. What's the next thing they can do? How do they get up and get started? That's a big question. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, I think that's always a good question to ask. Man, I you gotta you gotta fight through it. The next step is is to try to grab a hold of yourself. Sometimes people can't grab a hold of you. You've got to grab a hold of yourself. Well, and especially when there's no one left around yeah, you. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's not that, you know, sometimes people sit there and they tell you and they say, oh, I understand. And you want to yell at them and you say, no, you don't. You've never been there. 
And, you know, people, like, I've had people tell me, oh, suicide is selfish. It's the coward's way out. You know, you're a pussy if you, you know, that that's the pussy way out and this and that. And, um, you know, I have to disagree, man. Because like you said, you've been there. I've been there, man. And it's harder than anything that I've ever done. Um, I couldn't do it. And um, I wasn't able to to take myself out, man. You know, it's funny. I, I write I write a lot of poetry. And um, some of my poetry is real dark and it's morbid. And sometimes, you know, it took me a while to post it. And let, you know, like right, where, where is your poetry posted? I've got to read this. Where can I find it? Oh man, um, there's there's uh, just go on my Facebook page. Um, you'll see like my personal page. The under uh, Jason also, Flat, F L A T T, yeah, right? Yeah, and there's there's also um, there's also uh, you know we I published a book. Um, it, uh, it's um, Pitbulls and Poetry. Um, just a, a little thing, you know. One of one of my uh, volunteers kind of self-published it for us. We sold a couple of copies of it. Um, All right, I'm cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna buy, I'm gonna buy the third one then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. And um, you know, like, but it's funny. It's like you post a po- a poem, and people are like, oh, that's dark. That's so deep, and it's it's so um, you know, I, those feelings. And some people are like, oh my God, I don't feel like that. You know. <laughs> It's funny, man. They tell you, don't feel like that. You know it, and I know it. You never want to feel like that. If I can control my feelings, I would never, ever, ever be in that situation. But you can't control what goes through your head. You can try to alter it and change your environment and change your surroundings. And you know what? Sometimes bad thoughts have a fucking GPS, and they find you no matter where you are. You can run. You can go. You can do but you know it and I know it. Sometimes you can't escape it. And um, so what do you tell people? It gets better. You find a place for it. How do you get out of it? On your own. Some people can help you and they can assist you and they can make you feel a little better and they can be there for you. But at the end of the day, you got to want to live and you got to want to fight and you got to want to find the purpose. You know? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, I found my purpose, man, and I'm going to die doing this. Um, I'm going to now, you know, my my fear is, like we talk about building this facility, facility, because I need this to carry on when I'm done. You know, everything, especially now, I mean, you look at things in the world, the uncertainty. I got to secure something for these dogs. I got to make sure that there's something when I'm no longer here. You know? Um, Now, you know, I went from being fearless to now having so much fear. My fear is not of a person, you know? I tell people if it walks walks on two legs, I'm not afraid of it. If it walks on four, I'll make I'll make friends with it. 
That that's amazing. I love that. And I think I may borrow that from you, man. Hey, man, listen. Go ahead. Feel free. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. I um. My fear is that I'm gonna fail, and not because like of what's gonna happen to me. I'm scared for the fallout. You know what's gonna happen when I'm gone, and that's you know putting those plans in place and making sure that we're set up and making sure that, you know, I don't want this to end because I'm not scratching the surface yet, man. Like I make a difference for the dogs that we rescue and that we take in, but I turn away so many more than I can rescue. And like my job right now is I'm flipping ratios. Um, I want to flip that. I want to flip that ratio from dogs, you know, saved to dogs turned away, I, I, I want to be able to save more. I want to be able to, I want to, I want to be able to just, you know, I don't want to leave a mark. I, you know, somebody asked me the other day and they said, you know, you've done so much, you've accomplished so much. How do you look back and rejoice in, in the work that you've done when there's so much more to do. How well, can you you, none of us can save the entire world, man. And you can. You can give yourself credit for what you're doing, Jason. You're, you're certainly entitled to that, man. Well, you know, uh, it's not the work that I'm doing, man. It's um, I have really good people with me, like my fosters, my volunteers. Face of the rescue, I scoop shit every day. I still work, um, you know, day in, day out, seven days a week. Um, but it's not possible without my fosters, without my volunteers, my board members, or the people that support me. I'm, again, like the tragedy and, and all the misfortune in life and the shit that we go through, but how many people do you know, Rick, where you have a dream? You know, and if you tell people you have a dream, right, people say, oh, shoot for the stars. The world is yours. Go for it. Don't stop until you succeed. And they give you all the cliches, right? But how many people actually believe in you enough where they support your dream? Well, you know what? And I think a lot of people out there listening will, will relate to that. And I know that I would have at one point. Thankfully, Jason, today I can answer that question and, and say a lot because yeah. I was able to get up and, and get restarted again. So, uh, so I want to. So, so there. But, but I want to offer something here. I'm sorry for those that are listening because you and I both know there are people out there that are probably in such despair that they, they can't see what the what a next logical step or next step of any sort might be. And th- this might sound really pedestrian, but I, and I thought of this only while we were talking. This is I've never said it before. It's not pre-prepared. But if there's somebody out there that's in the position that you and I were in where they're on the floor and they cannot get up, this is one thought, and I want to see what you think about it. Everybody's got a got a cell phone or has a computer these days. Everybody does. Google the name of the town you're in and the word volunteer and get up and go volunteer for something because right away you're around other people and you're doing something that's good for other people. And if you do, or dogs or, or cats or whatever it may be, and if you do that, it may sound selfish, but if we do for others, we do for ourselves. Just a thought I wanted to share. No, I mean, that's a beautiful thought. And, um, no, it's, 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 it's really, it's really, 
as unfortunate as you know, unfortunate some of the some of the things that have happened in my life, you know, it's horrible. It's horrible. And but I'm also fortunate enough that I found my passion, I found my calling, and I found you know what I'm supposed to do here. And to be grateful. And I have to take some some joy in knowing that there are people out there in the world that I've never met that support me. I mean, we we talked about like all the stuff that's going on with the coronavirus and having to spend, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars to, you know, supply up here, man. We had to, you know, buy extra, buy extra meds, buy extra food, buy extra preventative. I mean, we spent thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, I do want to interject this real quickly. Unlike most in the rescue world who are not able to buy their next bag of right. food, you're right. doing a good enough job, man, that you have funds on hand to take care of your dogs properly. So I salute you for that, man. I think it's awesome. Man, and you know something? And I, I, like I sat there and I'm, you know, I paid the credit card bill the other day and I'm like, holy shit, you know? And I'm like, how many people can actually pay their credit card bill at a time like this? And, you know, we have d- donations falling off. And people are apologizing to me. And I'm sitting there going, Why are you apologizing? I get it. You gotta take care of you gotta take care of you before you can take care of anybody else. Because if not, you know, um, you'll end up in trouble. And that's see, that's the hard part. Like being responsible as far as a rescue goes is knowing your limitations. And, you know, I'm getting calls from people that can't afford their vet bills and things like that and you know we average between 75 and 100 pit bulls in the rescue at any given time, and a lot of them with severe medical conditions and surgeries. I mean, we took a puppy that was thrown out of a window um, with two broken front legs, um, and they healed horribly. Um, so they have to go to an orthopedic specialist. Um, we're going in a month. We made the appointment. Um, it's going to be a $3,500 bill. That's with a discount, and that's without rehab. Um, but you know what? We're fortunate enough that we can raise that money, and it's already covered. And but I have to take care of my own, and I have to turn others away. Because what good is it if 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 I get in over my head? Who's going to bail me out? You know. Um, so you have to. You know those heartstrings. You know they pull at you, but they can also choke the life out of you, man. And that's, I think, part of being a responsible rescue is knowing when to slow it down. Without question, sure. And, you know, at one point, Rick, half the dogs in my rescue came from other rescues. Well, you know? yeah, most rescues are, uh, get, a, get ahead of themselves constantly. Mm-hmm. They, they, all yeah. have, they all have their hearts in the right place, but they're not equipped to do what it is they set out to do. And I congratulated you a couple of minutes ago because I think you, you set yourself apart with friends to the forlorn because you, you're, you're equipped and you manage to take good care of the animals that are in your charge. And that's a lot more than most do. So that's, that's good on you, man. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just so lucky that people believe in me and believe in my cause. I mean, because it's a losing business model, man. It's like, you know, what you take in an adoption fees compared to what you spend on these animals and the care of these animals. I mean, it's not even close. And, 
I think it was 2017, forgive me if I'm wrong, I think we collected like 15,000, and I'm only telling you 2017 because those are the numbers that stick out in my head. Um, I think we collected a little over 15,000 uh, in adoption fees, and we spent 296,000 in, you know, animal care and uh, vet care and supplies and food. And, you know, people don't realize what it takes. And um, when, you, when, you, when, when you take on these dogs and some of them are going to be with you for life, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. We and we, you know, we have sponsorships for animals and two dollar Tuesday donations, and you watch some of those fall off. But you know, we talked about how good people are. Um, you watch people step up when one person has to fall off by no fault of their own. It's just unforeseen circumstances, like you know this Corona invasion. Um, People are asking me, hey, do you need help? Do you need this? You know, and, you know, I never cry wolf. I tell people how it is. And um, I think that we're fortunate enough that people see that we're so transparent in what we do. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a no-bullshit kind of guy. I'm very transparent. I run this rescue on commitment, love, integrity. Um, and, 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 and commitment. And you are transparent. You, you, Friends to the Forlorn has the, uh, the, the highest rating there you can have on GuideStar, which is the, the arbiter of nonprofits. I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but you're, you're, you're not only transparent, but highly regarded in the nonprofit world. Well, thank you. And, um, and, and on that note, Jason, I want to do this because I, I feel like I've really made a good friend here. And you, you and I could go on forever, but I know you're in the thick of it right now. Yep. Um, I know it's late. Man, thank you for staying on this long with me. It's late on the East Coast. It's coming up on midnight or 11 o'clock over there. 11 o'clock, uh, yeah. And w- what I want to do is this, if you don't mind. I'm definitely going to want to continue this with you at, at one time soon, if that's all right. No, um, in, in the meantime, you're kicking ass and you're making things happen and you're talking about support out there. And, and I do want to say this to the listeners. In, in preparing for this interview, never once did Jason say to me or, or ask how we can promote his rescue. But I, I feel the need to do this here, Jason. How can people help you? How can they learn about your organization and help Friends to the Forlorn? I mean, we're, we're on Instagram. We're FTTF uh, Pitbull. The girls do a great job um, with social media. Uh, on Facebook, Friends to the Forlorn Pitbull Rescue personal Facebook, I think I'm full. They're allowed 5,000 friends. And I'm but they full. can follow you still, though. They can follow me, Jason Flat. Um, F-L-A-P-T, two T's. Yep. Um, our website is savingpitbulls.org. Okay, so let, so let me wrap this up for you then. Everybody out there, please. And, and this, is, this is the departure for me because I'm always pushing my, my quote-unquote own Pitbull Rescue. Please support Friends to the Forlorn, savingpitbulls.org. Look up Jason Flat on his Facebook or Google him. You're going to get a lot of interesting matches. Uh, he's more and more in the news these days for the amazing work he's doing. Um, Jason, I hope that things like I'm cutting things off. I'm, I'm trying to be respectful of your time and the hour there and the work that I know that you have to do. Um, may, may we continue this at another time? Man, I'm I'm always available. Like I said, I've got a headset in my ears. It's uh, about to be 11 o'clock here. 
Um, my, my, my girls are about to leave. I take over for the night session. I'll be going till about one thirty in the morning and, uh, then I'll hit the sack and we'll wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and do it all again, man. Well, it's not something I say easily, but God bless you, man. Keep up the keep up the good work. I'm so glad we've become friends. I look forward to meeting you in person before too long. Yeah, and, man. Uh, once let's stuff, talk soon. Yeah, once once this stuff, this craziness in the world starts to end, man, I'd love I'd love to shake hands with you in person and um, you know see what we can do uh, to help each other and and the good people out there that are trying to. Trying to do something for these dogs that God knows they need it, you know. I, I know we're going to do that. So, so signing off, then. This is Rick Bassman for Talking Tough on today with Jason Flat from Friends to the Forlorn. A, a lot of amazing food for thought and consideration. Jason, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Talk with you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. You already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.